I don't think I've ever done this before, but I'm going to ask you to be praying about something for me. And not really for me, but for my cousin, Gaylor, and his wife, Linda. Uh, Linda has dementia or Alzheimer's and has been dealing with it for quite some time. And it's just getting more and more difficult. And uh, Gaylor is the only caregiver. Uh, they have a son who doesn't live with in the immediate area to them to be able to help out. Uh, they're not connected to a church, so they don't have that advantage of having a church family to um, be there for them. Uh, so it's really getting to be a difficult thing. And all the plans that they had made for retirement have had to be abandoned. Uh, Gaylor retired really earlier than he had planned on, but not as early as he should have. Uh, so they really weren't able to do a lot of the things that they had planned for many years to do. So life as they had known is gone. And I believe that's the worst disease that there is. Uh, I know it's not a painful disease like a lot of cancers can be uh, and you don't have the treatments that you go through that make you sick like cancer but it just robs you of who you are and it's so difficult to watch your spouse or your parent just kind of disappear before your eyes and it seems like so often the person that's affected is otherwise pretty healthy and so they just kind of linger on for a long time and the caregiver's life just seems to be consumed by being a caregiver. And all too often, caregivers are reluctant to seek the assistance that they need and may be readily available to them. Now, for some of you, I know I'm preaching to the choir that you've been there or you're there now. And so we pray for you as well. So let's pray. Father, I just lift up those that are caregivers to someone uh, just not dealing with Alzheimer's, but with uh, cancers or stroke victims or whatever it may be. It's not easy to be a caregiver and it just can drain you and just consume you. So I just uh, lift up the person that's going through the, the physical need but also those that are taking care of them as well. And uh, just give them the, the help that they need. But Father, as we look at your word, Lord, help us to see what you've got for us today in this message. And Lord, just open our, our hearts, open our minds, our ears, and just let your Holy Spirit work through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Easter may be over, but every day is Resurrection Day. And so I want to look at what was happening after Jesus had been resurrected. Now, Matthew tells us something that none of the other Gospels mention. Uh, it says, Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. The earth shook. 
The rocks split apart and the tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus's resurrection and went into the holy city of Jerusalem and appeared to many people. Well, Mark and Luke reference the curtain being torn, but only Matthew talks about the tombs being opened and the dead going into Jerusalem on Resurrection Day. That must have caused some to wonder, you know, who, who was this Jesus? You know, I, mean, I don't picture this as a Night of the Living Dead or one of those shows about zombies. Uh, I believe that after they were resurrected, that they were just as they had been before death. You know, sweet old Aunt Bertha and good old Grandpa Abraham or, you know, whoever they were. But not much has been written about this because this is really all that we know about it. You know, many Bible scholars believe or assume that they ascended when Jesus did. And this is something just, you know, I think that we have to leave as an unmentioned thing, you know, that just doesn't tell us anymore. Well, then Luke gives us something that he alone shares uh, in chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. And I'll add my thoughts as I read this, and I'm going to be, I think, mostly if not all through the New Living Translation. Okay, verse 13 says, That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. Okay, many Christians make the mistake of thinking that there were only 12 that followed Jesus. Well, there were several men and women that went wherever he did. So these two men were, you know, quite possibly very familiar with Jesus. And they may have been with the 11 disciples in hiding someplace after Jesus was crucified. Verses 14 and 16 tell us this. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. Okay, just kind of like Mary Magdalene didn't recognize Jesus at first in the garden. Okay, the timing had to be God's, and he always has a purpose for that. But this time, it was probably for an hour or more that Jesus was unrecognized. Okay, it says a trip was seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and we don't know when Jesus joined them in that journey, uh, if it was just outside of Jerusalem or halfway through the trip, whatever. But as I'll read later, Jesus stuck around for a little while. Verse 17 and 18 says this, Jesus asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, 
you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there in the last few days. Well, this makes me think that they're not too far from Jerusalem when Jesus joined them. You know, otherwise they, they, Jesus could have joined them from some other village along the way. But, you know, I can relate to this scenario in some ways. Have you ever not been informed about something and then come into contact with someone who is aware? You know, you, you see somebody that you haven't seen in a while and you're not aware of the fact that, you know, maybe their spouse uh, passed away or maybe their parent, you know, was really sick or maybe this person has lost their job or you know, maybe their spouse, you know, had been unfaithful and their relationship ended or their child's in jail or whatever, and you didn't know that. And so you're like, whoa, you know, I didn't know that, you know. So, of course, in this case, Jesus, he was obviously very aware of the situation. But maybe Jesus was wanting to get their take on what happened. What others were thinking and how other people felt. And then Jesus gets him to open up about this a little bit in verses 19 to 21. He says, well, what things? Like, you know, what are you talking about? And they said, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. The word hoped in verse 21, where they said that, that they had hoped that he was the Messiah. It, it means to expect or to trust or to be confident, or have faith, or hope. You know, if, if I was Jesus, I would at least be thinking, you know, what do you mean you hoped I was the Messiah? Didn't you believe me? How many times did I tell you? How many different ways did I have to say it? You know, and how did they refer to him in those verses? That Jesus was a prophet. Jesus did powerful miracles. Jesus was a mighty teacher. You know, these are all things that non-believers say about Jesus. This is how other religions describe Jesus, not as a Messiah, but as a mighty teacher, as a prophet. And now, this is not how a follower of Jesus describes their Savior. And... The men talked about the leading priests and other religious leaders. You know, they can still be a problem today. You know, we have priests and pastors that are saying that abortion is an act of God. They're saying that scripture supports abortion. They're saying that same-sex marriage is condoned by God and that maybe God made a mistake when he made you a man or he made you a woman and so you know, it's okay if you change it. 
leading priests and other religious leaders are not God, even though some may think so. So the religious leaders and the leading priests of today maybe aren't as familiar with the scriptures as they should be, just as those in the days of Jesus. So verse 22 to 24, this is the two men, the two men relate to Jesus, the story of the women who told them and the others. They said, then some women from our group, that they were at the tomb early this morning and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and that they'd seen angels who told him that Jesus is alive. Some of the men ran out and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Now, going back to the encounter with the women and the disciples, okay, it says, but the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping down, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what happened. So that morning, the story sounded like nonsense to them. Now, it sounds more like they, well, they may possibly believe it. Well, then Jesus speaks up in verses 25 and 26. And... I can, I can hear his tone of voice. You foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before his entering his glory? The Greek word for foolish, when he called them foolish people, means unintelligent. To be a fool. To be unwise. If someone I don't know, or I don't think I know, calls me a fool, I want to hear what they've got to say. Okay? Because no doubt, Jesus had their attention at this point. And so he's got to set them straight. And so he begins to in verse 27 says, then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, as they're walking along, and this guy that they don't know who he is, is telling them all this stuff, they got to be wondering, who is this guy? You know, how does he know all this stuff? You know, how can he do this? You know, I, I don't ever remember seeing him, you know, when Jesus was teaching, you know, but it, he really seems to know the scriptures. Duh. He, he helped write them. So soon they're about to reach their destination. Verses 28 to 30. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus at the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, Stay the night with us, 
since it's getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Sound familiar? Luke twenty-two nineteen. He took some bread, giving thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is at what we call the Last Supper, the, pa the Passover feast. Well, these two men weren't there, but no doubt the disciples spoke of that night to others, especially on that Saturday when they were definitely in hiding. I'm sure they were talking all day long about Jesus and how Jesus on that night at the, the Passover feast just really turned it upside down. I mean, they had done the Passover feast, you know, many, many times, and Jesus changed it into something else. Well, that night changed. Okay, in verse 31, it says, Suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. Can you try to picture that moment? Okay, these two men sitting there, maybe others, you know, from their families as well that were there, just with their mouth hanging open, their eyes wide, their hearts pumping like crazy, just kind of looking around, you know, well, what happened? You know, he was just there and now he's gone. Verse 32 to 34 says, they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked to us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them and said, the Lord has really risen and he appeared to Peter. Within the hour, I imagine it was just the time that it took them to stand up and to gather their stuff and to hang onto their robes and take off running. It was probably the quickest trip from Emmaus to Jerusalem that they had ever made. Well, the scene doesn't end there. Okay, verses 35 and the beginning of verse 36. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself suddenly was standing there among them. Wow, can you even try to imagine what they felt? Not just these two men, but everybody in the room. Jesus wasn't there and now he's there. Luke goes on to tell us in the rest of verse 36 and verse 37, peace be with you, Jesus said. You know, I got to stop there. Peace, that is probably the last thing that they were feeling, is peace. It goes on to say, but the whole group was startled and frightened, 
thinking they were seeing a ghost. But I wonder if they had other feelings as well. Is Jesus upset with us because we abandoned him? Does he wonder why we didn't even try to stop them? Does he wonder why it was Joseph that buried him instead of us? I'm sure those thoughts had to be going through their minds. Verse 38 to 40. Jesus says, why are you frightened? Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. The beginning of verse 41 tells more of how they felt. They stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Disbelief, joy, and wonder. That probably sums up how I'd feel as well. What is going on here? What is happening? How is, how is this possible? But at the same time, you're thinking, praise God, he's really alive. Jesus, Jesus is alive. In the rest of verse 41, verses 42 and 43, Jesus wanted to make a point. Then he asked him, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate as they watched. Ghosts don't eat food. Verses 44 to 49, Jesus gave those there a quick refresher course on what happened and why it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't an I told you so message, just some reminders from the scripture. In verse 49, Jesus reminds them of the power that they're going to be receiving. I want to look briefly at John 21. I'm sure you've heard a lot of messages on this in the past. So I'm going to maybe skim over parts of it. But seven of the disciples had gone fishing at Peter's idea. Out all night, caught zero fish. Jesus was on the shore and they saw him as they were coming in and He's there cooking breakfast. And he gave him a fishing lesson. You know, throw down your nets on the other side. Then they caught more fish than they'd ever caught before. Well, Peter realized that this had to be Jesus. And so he jumped in the sea and he swam to shore. Verses 15 to 17, you've probably heard several messages on the three times Jesus asked Peter if he loved him. And the three times that Peter responded that, yeah, he did. Jesus told Peter, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. But there's one thing, and Jesus said the same, that each time he asked Peter if he loved him. 
He said, Simon, son of John. Is that significant? I don't know. Except I do know who you are is important in Bible times. It was important to Jesus and probably to Simon Peter that Jesus said that, son of John. So often in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, we read, you know, like Chris, son of Don, son of Fred, son of Charles, you know, whatever it may be. Jesus wanted Peter to know that he knew who he was, that he wasn't speaking to John. He wasn't speaking to Simon Peter's brother, Andrew, that he was speaking to him and no one else. Jesus is speaking to you and I. He knows us by name. He knows our past. He knows our present. He knows our future, just like with Peter. And he has a purpose for us, just like Simon Peter. Your purpose and mine are probably nowhere near the same. Just like each of the disciples, they had a different road ahead. So what, what's Jesus saying to you? What is it that you hear from Jesus, through the scriptures, through a song, in times of prayer, even from an unbeliever. What's Jesus saying to you? Let's pray. Father, I give you thanks for your children, those that know you and, and love you, those that have made a, a commitment to you, that serve you and follow you, that know your word, but Lord, sometimes we get on the wrong path. And Lord, you know we're going to get on the wrong path sometimes. You know that we're going to make mistakes. You know we're going to fall down. You know, sometimes instead of walking that road, we're just going to plant our feet and stay where we are until you come along and take our hand and help us get moving again. And so... If any of my brothers or sisters are at that point, let them reach out for your hand. That you can not drag them along, but you can guide them. And just keep them going. Keep telling us, Lord, from your word, the things that you do, the things that you want us to do in the ways that we can love you and love our brothers and sisters. And Lord, I lift up anyone that is listening that doesn't know you. They've maybe read some of the Bible. They've maybe gone to church sometimes. Maybe they can go to church quite a bit, but they've never made a commitment. They have no relationship with you. But Lord, they've reached a point where they know that it can't be that way anymore, that they need to commit their life to you, that they need to turn from who they've been and become more of who you want them to be. And there's only one way to do that, and that is to recognize that you sent your son to die for our sins and he rose from the dead and he's coming back. We need to admit that we've all been sinners and are in need of forgiveness. 
And so we can pray something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that he died for my sins and that he rose again. Lord, help me to believe. Help me to turn my life over to you and to follow your ways and not my ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.